The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beer. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, what do you think of NFC North leading Chicago Bears? How's that sound to you? That sounds about as good as it can possibly sound, and a lot better than pretty much every prediction I saw at the beginning of the season. And I am interested as to how the Bears are going to regress to only three wins when we already have five. But I'm sure somebody can explain it to me. Yeah, the the wins that don't count or the, the style points that we're lacking. And, you know, someone who's looked at a lot of Bears history and looked at those records, I've never once questioned to myself, how many of these were legitimate wins and how many of these were fake wins? It didn't really count because they didn't look very good doesn't exist in football at the end of the day you are what your record says you are the bears are five and one and we're going to get into a little bit of panthers talk and talk about how that happened and then we're also going to talk about the rams but first of course we need some beers to get us along what do you got tonight uh i'm going fairly easy as we're recording on a thursday night uh but one of my local favorites uh imported from canada kokanee glacier fresh beer from Columbia Brewery. I've got a 16-ounce can of it. Um, as somebody who used to spend a whole lot of time in Canada before all this craziness, uh, Kokanee is a very easy go-to. Uh, it's pale for those folks who aren't familiar with it. 5% by volume because I think lower than that is illegal in Canada. And uh, <laughs> this is their easy-drinking, quote-unquote, sportsman's beer. And uh, I've got one tonight. What do you have? Well, the Bears are going to California, so I wanted to bring on a California beer. And I decided that I was going to bring on a bottle of Norwal, which I'm sure I've probably brought on in the past, but not the 2019 version. So I think it still counts as a unique beer because they label their beers with the year that it was bottled. So this is the 2019 version of Norwal. Very excited about this because it's a delicious beer. I know I've had it and it's great. So in honor of the Bears heading to California, I'm bringing a little bit of California back home to me. Fair enough. Let's get it going. This might be, man, of just Imperial Stouts, this might be my favorite. Mm. For you, that's saying something, because um, you've had... Yeah, you we know, were... there's no... 
additives. There's no, you know, oh, it was aged in vanilla beans, which, again, I think is delicious. You know, there's no milk sugar or this and that. Again, I think that's delicious. But this is just, hey, it's an imperial stout. Uh, it is what it is. It's it's going to be um, pretty thick. You can probably eat it with a spoon if you wanted to, but I'm going to choose to drink it. And it's just simply delicious. And I like that they come out with you know uh, individual years, and, and you got to kind of find it um, when it's out. And it's it's a really good beer. It's ten point two percent. So I guess I'm not taking it easy this Thursday. <laughs> you're. I mean, you're only double my ABV. It's no big deal. Well, it's you know. I watched three minutes of Giants Eagles before we started to record this, and I thought, "Oh boy, I need something. I need something I, strong. I need something strong. I need a little mind eraser because I just took a look at. I took a glimpse at the NFC East, and some things cannot be unseen. Uh, yeah, they're rough right now. Somebody posted. I think it was um, Nora Princiati, who's the old uh, Boston Globe. I think Boston Globe. I keep saying Boston Globe. I need to look that up. She works for the Ringer now. She was a longtime Pats correspondent, and she said, "Has anybody tried to put the NFC East in rice?" <laughs> and I said, "We did, but somebody stole the rice because they thought it was worth more." So, um, I think Whiskey Ranger responded to you and said that he was hungry and he apologized. That's so. okay. We would cook him the rice, but yeah, somebody yeah. stole that rice. No, it's not a great division right now. Uh, there is the strong potential that that divisional winner will have a maybe 500 record and still get into the playoffs so that's going to bring up the annual debate about you know division winners and waiting but that's a that's an argument a drunken argument for another time if someone in that division gets to 800 i will be very surprised if somebody gets to 800 i would be terribly surprised the 500 eight and eight 500 (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. sorry 10.2 you say it already one sip in I yeah no sorry I was the eight and eight five hundred record yeah. I would be shocked if if anybody gets up that high I think that that division might be taken by six wins or something like that so pretty crazy it's it's a disgusting division they have to play each other so they'll they'll earn some wins that way you would think maybe there'll be some ties I'm not sure so let's talk about a win that we know about that has been on the books now for a few days and we've had some time to think about it. The Bears go on the road to Carolina, and they move to 5-1 and one after beating the Panthers 23-16. to 16. Now, when I watched this game live, it felt like this game, the score seemed closer than how this game felt. And I went back and I watched it again, and I felt even stronger about that. This seemed like a game that was ready to break open a couple of times and a couple of interesting calls that went against the Bears once again. And I again, this is not a uh, blame the refs podcast, but it does seem that the Bears have been on the wrong side of some of these calls and similar calls within the same game that both go against the Bears. But this game felt like the Bears had control from the start and did not let up. And it was, I think, a complete victory. It was exactly what we've been looking for. Yeah, it started off with the Bears' defense really taking control and playing well early. Almost get a safety very early in the game, you know, inches away from calling that a safety. I think it was the right call not to call it a safety, but gives the Bears a very short field. 
and you know they turn around and score pretty quickly and and after that they were just on a roll this defense is a unit that can control the flow of a game they are that good they are bringing tremendous amounts of pressure their sack numbers are starting to rise but if you look at some of the sacks that they dealt out against carolina if the first guy wasn't getting him, the second guy was. And if the second guy wasn't getting him, a half second later, the third guy was. And if you can get three guys into the backfield under two and a half, three seconds, life is very hard for the quarterback. So this defense controls up front. And of course, we know the secondary is playing extremely well right now. So I don't want to say regardless of the offense, because we know the offense needs to support. You need to score points to win football games. But this defense basically put a boot on Carolina's neck early and didn't let up. Yeah, and one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was the long drives, the, the long drives that Carolina had. And there's a couple of ways to think about that. Well, the Bears couldn't get off the field. And or the Bears made them earn every single bit. They weren't going to get beat deep. They weren't going to give up a big play. And they were going to make them work for every first down. And then when field gets short, when you're down in the red zone, you're down in the plus red zone, you know, 10 yards and in, it gets even harder and harder. The Bears defense stiffens up as that old bend but don't break mentality. And so there was a couple of really long drives that, the, that ended with Panther field goals. I, again, I think that if you're a pessimist, you can be like, well, geez, there you go. That's That's a weakness of this team. I think that was pretty fascinating that the Bears were able to uh, play disciplined football. The Panthers played really well to be able to march down the field, but they held up and they and they held them to field goals. And to me, that was really uh, a strong response from that defense. And, and honestly, the Bears red zone defense has been phenomenal so far this year. I think they're far and away the first uh, place team when it comes to red zone defense. And so that, I think, is a really nice development to see that they are very stout once it gets down into the red zone. They're playing well as a unit, and by that I mean all three levels of the defense together. That wasn't necessarily the case at the start of the season. There were some fits and starts in the early games. There were good performances from all three levels, but they didn't seem to come at the same time or in unison on the same play. We're starting to see that with regularity, that the pass rush is getting home, the linebackers are in their gaps, and the secondary is playing very tight coverage, and it doesn't leave that many options. And like you said... If another team gets off a decent positive play, gets a first down, they're going to have to do it three or four more times to get just another 10 or 12 yards, not another 20 or 30 or 40. So it's almost like the Bears defense is looking for more licks, right? They're in there and they can absolutely say, you got to be out here against us for 12, for 15 plays. We like our chances if that's the case. And that's fun to watch. It's been fun to watch them gel and really start to put pressure on at all three levels. And that's a difficult day. It's a long day for an offense, and they can't really make that many mistakes. You talked about the calls early on, but honestly, if Eddie's you know return for a touchdown that gets called back turns into real points, this is a very different game on the scoreboard, but it doesn't change the feel that you talked about at the open either, that the Bears had this and they were the ones sort of dictating from early on. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I, I received a text today by our mutual friend, Robert Schmitz, and he asked if, hey, if Roquan has a big game, do you think that he 
will all of a sudden be talked about as a potential first-team All-Pro. And I said, ah, I don't know, Robert. The problem is that, you know, he's going to have to start stacking some turnovers. But number two is that he's pretty clearly the fifth best defensive player on this on this team. And Jalen Johnson might be <laughs> making a case strongly for that spot. And he came back and he said, oh, he's third. And I was like, ooh, let's have that conversation right now. And, and so <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think for those very... of you that don't know JB, and if you listen to this podcast, you pretty much know JB. Uh, but if you don't know JB, when you get that response, you should kind of just buck up because it's coming at that point. <laughs> oh, that's fair. So obviously I wanted, I wanted to talk about this because I think that everybody agrees that it's Mac one. I think you can make a case however you want to list the next three. I think that there's an interesting conversation for me. It's Eddie Jackson, number two. Akeem Hicks, number three, and Kyle Fuller, number four. You can go any direction that you want. I think Kyle Fuller's playing at an incredibly high rate right now. And so if it's just off of 2020 performance, I think you'd probably put him second. So it's a very interesting conversation. I would not put Roquan above any of those guys. But what does Roquan need to do? Well, first, you can list your how you're listing your top four. And then I'd be curious to hear what do you think Roquan needs to do to get into that conversation, to hit into that tier that we have those other guys at? Yeah, it's a really fascinating question, and my list would be different. I think I would, if we're going off 2020, if those are the rules, Mac is clearly number one because he's still having a phenomenal year. Uh, he had a very good year last year, didn't produce in sacks, but if you really watched the game, he influenced so many plays in which he didn't record a statistic. So Max clearly number one. I think you have to play Fuller or Hicks second because Hicks is also still wrecking things back fully healthy this year and really making a mess of offensive lines. Again, from the IDL spot, you're not going to get uh, as many flashy plays, but Hicks has made his fair share of those. So I, I would almost put two as a tie between Fuller and Hicks, and then I would put Jackson at that point fourth because you've got a tie for second. And Jalen Johnson, I would say, is is pushing Jackson. He's not yet as consistent, but I'd say he's actually made more big plays. Now, that's, again, Ones that stuck in the record books and didn't get called back by the officials. Yeah, it's tough, man. For me, those it, two uh-huh. pick sixes, it's like, eh, come on. Those, those those should have. Those should be on the record books. They should, but people like you that look back 10 years from now, because it, uh, it decays true. really quickly. They're not going to go, oh, yeah, but Eddie had those two plays that got caught. Absolutely. Nope, they, don't, they don't show up. I'm with you that, again, if not for a quick whistle on a couple of those plays, Eddie Jackson's clearly, you know, maybe he's even a straight third on that list because, hey, if you've scored two touchdowns on defense and you're playing at a high level every week, which he is, it's a little bit different. Now, that leads into the Roquan question pretty well. Uh, Roquan started the year uh, not having... He was definitely the best inside linebacker on the team and has been since the word go this year. Danny started off really rough in the first two games. Um, His sideline to sideline is there, and it is a very important and underrated part of Pagano's defense. Roquan's ability to cover, which is one of the main reasons he was drafted in that spot, and really as a compliment to a guy like Danny Trevathan, 
is his ability to run and cover, and his run and coverage has looked really good and even better over the last few weeks. He's made plays way out near the sideline that many linebackers would not make. Now, the things that work against Roquan being considered at a very high tier is he had some high-profile misses in his gap in the run game. Uh, Not a ton of them, but the ones he had were ugly. Uh, he got, you know, faked out of his shoes a couple of times, same game. And he hasn't made those plays that even if they aren't turnovers are very flashy plays that show up for linebackers, those penetrating TFLs, uh, they don't blitz him a lot because they don't really need to with that defensive line they've assembled. And he's much more valuable in coverage and filling his gap in the second level. Um, and people can say, well, that's not what you draft a player high for. Well, be very careful if you're a Bears fan saying that because that's exactly how Brian Erlacher played behind Ted Washington and Keith Trailer. Oh, no right? kidding. Yep. They freed up and let him run and hit. And he, boy, yep. did he run and hit. So. But Roquan doesn't have those TFLs, which are largely the sort of impact plays that an inside linebacker is going to make that are going to be flashy on the stat sheet. Um, He's not a hitter like Kyle Fuller that's going to force a ton of fumbles. He might, but he doesn't seem to have that knack for prying the ball loose. He's done it a few times, but it's not really his core game. So again, he's going to be extremely sound in coverage. If you sort of draw out Chuck Pagano's defense, the the geometric shape that Roquan covers is large in that Mm -hmm. middle sphere between the two halves. Uh, So he's extremely valuable, but value in that way, in terms of running a lot of roles in a defense and having a lot of area to cover doesn't necessarily show up on voters, uh, you know, ballots when it comes time for all pro things like forced fumbles, big hits, sacks, tackles for loss, And that's not really his game. He can do all those things, but he doesn't do those regularly. If we started to see a handful of those in addition, people would pay a lot more attention to the quote-unquote very boring coverage snaps where he basically shuts down a wide receiver, and that's he does that fairly often. People just miss it. Sure. Yeah, and I I think that it has something to do with where you rank on your own defense, and then they start handing out – awards based on kind of like well clearly this defense is led by Khalil Mack you know he's he's going to be first at the you know the trough to be able to get that those honors like let's say the Bears defense finishes as a top five defense or maybe they're the best defense at by the end of the year that is going to uh, put Khalil Mack in a really good position. And then you're going to look at the turnovers. You're going to look at, okay, yeah, Eddie Jackson, he was performing, or Kyle Fuller. Like, So it, it kind of goes like that. And it, to me, it's tough. You're not going to see five or six guys as first-team All-Pros from the same team. That's just not realistic and honestly not fair to a lot of really good defenders elsewhere in the league. So really you're kind of you're kind of hoping for – you know, you're hoping for two because you know you think you can get one. And if you could get three, that's pretty phenomenal. That's saying, like, you had an incredible defense. And so it's just, for me, how that kind of stacks up, eh, that's that's really not something that he's probably going to be in the conversation for. And I think you're right bringing up Jalen Johnson in terms of maybe pushing him because if Jalen Johnson keep, continues – I mean, he's in the defensive rookie of the year conversation. That's how good Jalen Johnson's been playing. I don't think he's just in the conversation. I think he's probably leading that conversation right now. If you stack up rookie defenders, um, you know, look, if Chase Young goes on a tear and and ends up with 
16 sacks or something like yeah he'll he'll probably get it because again that's what voters sort of vote on at the card at the end of the year but if you look at defensive performances through the first six games by rookies Jalen Johnson has started from the crack and not only started but the thing that kills me is he's not just on rookie defenders lists he's on best cornerback lists in like the number four spot as a rookie that's staggering right right that's he's He's got to be in the top two or three. If you are putting out a sort of, you know, uh, rookie defensive rookie of the year, you know, poll at, at, at the one third poll of the season and Jalen Johnson's not in your top three, I'm not reading your list. <laughs> it would That would be interesting, though, because he doesn't have the interceptions yet. Like he doesn't have the big plays yet. And so I think to win an award like that, you're going to have to put some numbers on the stat sheet to make people feel comfortable uh, voting for you. And so that, I think he's got to add some of those. And, uh, you know, I think that those opportunities are going to come. So let's hope that he adds some of those because that would be really neat. Because who's the last defensive rookie of the year for the Bears? I don't know. No idea. I I mean, obviously, Erlacher won defensive rookie of the year when he was a rookie but i don't know if there's been anybody in between that yeah no i'm, so I'm terrible that'd be history, pretty good company so, yeah <laughs> well i watched them well, all but if, i don't remember them because my if that's not right i'll try to cut it out before we well there you go you're doing the editing <laughs> the there's, there's the power you have this week mr burgess all right so let's flip over to the other side of the ball and talk about the offense so I, I'm curious to hear from you so obviously the offense does does enough with Foles. i, I thought Foles made some Big time throws and big situations. A lot of third down conversions that look really good. There was that throw to Allen Robinson that I thought was particularly nice uh, for that first down uh, along the sidelines. Uh, there was obviously the big throw to Cole Komet. Holy moly, where where was the opening for that throw? That was that was a that was a ballsy throw, and and there was a couple others where he converted third downs and he stepped up and took the heat and and he delivered some really good balls on time and allowed receivers to make yards after the catch. And I, I, I thought it was a really impressive performance by him. And so I, I felt a little bit of confidence building in what Nick Foles could do in this offense. What did you see? I, I saw up and down. I saw the, the listing um, this week that someone said uh, Nick Foles uh, is sort of cementing his status as the most volatile quarterback in the NFL. And mm. I think that's the microwave about, yeah, that's about right. Right. When he's yeah. hot and he does things like make that throw to commit, which let's be honest, could have gone a hundred ways. Komet was double covered and there it wasn't was a window and he threw it in there and said, make a play. And we said this at week one in the transition, right? When he took over for Trubisky, we said the difference is he's going to throw that ball up and say, go make a play. And Trubisky was very hesitant to do that. And Nick Foles is the opposite. He will absolutely chuck it up there. Receivers love that because it challenges them to go get the ball, put some pressure on them, but they also get a chance to make plays. And we also hope if they're halfway open that he's going to get him the ball. But there are those other plays on the flip side. It's very nice to come away with a win. It's very nice to come away with a win where you felt like it was probably a win from the early going. That is rare air for Bears fans this year. We don't we're not used to that position. Um, 
But if you go back, I know you took a second viewing, you go back and you look at the Bears get the ball on a turnover, and he immediately throws a bad interception to give it back, like the next play. That was brutal. That's a rough play, and people yeah. kind of go, well, it was a free possession anyways, and he just gave it back. Oh, so, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Brutal. Like, you have to capitalize on those. And he immediately comes out and makes a terrible throw. I mean, the kind of throw where it's in the air and you're going, Nick, what are you doing? Oh, come on. So you have to take that uh, sort of not as a glass half full or glass half empty. It's just the whole glass, right? Everything's in there. And I, I like you feel like, yep, he's getting a better handle on it. I was, uh, this is going to sound really stupid, but I was almost more impressed by his post game press conference. He was fired up right yeah he was like i left stuff on the field we're getting there you know i'm gonna bring people with me i gotta do this better but like at the end of it it wasn't like a, oh yeah you're right you you screwed up it was <laughs> i want to run through a wall for that guy yeah you know I, I i think i brought this up on the live stream i don't think we brought it up uh in our post game but when he was on the sidelines with Matt Nagy and he was really animated and he was like kind of shooting the guns you know I don't know what he was saying obviously but he was he he was like you know let's we got to go we got to go fast or whatever that was and you know like Trubisky was kind of like coming up from behind Nagy to like listen in like that was the scene they kept showing and a lot of people were like oh look at Foles giving it to Nagy he's giving him a lecture and all this kind of stuff and it's like okay don't be dumb he's in it and he's he's communicating with his with his play caller, with his head coach, and he's saying, "Hey, man, I'm seeing this, and when I'm seeing this, I like to do this. So let's, you know, let's do this." And Nagy, it is like, okay, yeah, he wants that information. I, I bet you that when Nagy turned around and went back to his his spot on the sidelines, he was jacked because his guy was animated and ready to go and fired up. And you saw it in that post game press conference against Carolina, saying, "Hey." I, we're close. Like, I left stuff on the field. I, I'm there, though. And and to me, like, those are the things where it's like he's starting to, to emerge into this role and say, this offense is mine. I'm responsible for this. I understand it. And I'm going to make this. I'm going to make the best of this situation. And so to me, when I saw that on the sideline, I saw I, – I got excited. And and then when I heard that postgame press, press conference, I, I said, this guy's starting to take over. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I believe that that is going to show dividends down the stretch. This is clearly Nick Foles' team right now. I don't think there's any uh, pining to return to Trubisky from inside the Hallis Hall walls, and that includes guys that have supported him very publicly and you know, I'm sure are still friends with him, but they're seeing results, and they're seeing a guy in Nick Foles who can make the adjustments, who is not afraid to throw the ball up, who is not afraid to stand up and say, it's mine, and I screwed it up, and I'm going to go toe-to-toe with the coach and say, I want more of this, or I saw this, we got to do this. He has an opinion. He has an understanding. He's willing to communicate that both on the field and on the sideline. I agree that he is cementing himself as the guy on this team and that's not a bad thing the bears really need that and if they start to hit those things and he's able to limit the mistakes like that terrible interception and keep giving his receivers chances and keep driving the ball down the field and keep heating up in key situations and pulling rabbits out of hats people say oh it's not sustainable it kind of is it's all he's ever done 
in his career, <laughs> right. right, is get hot, right? And if they can get through this stretch where the offense is figuring it out and sort of getting its sea legs, the defense can stay consistent and he can dial that in towards the end of the year, the Bears are going to be a very rough out. Nobody's going to want to play them. Boy, I think, I, I think I've said the term sea legs a half a dozen times as well. So it feels like we're definitely on the same page here with where he's at. So I wanted to talk about one more thing about this game, and then we'll move on. Did the Bears find a kicker? I mean, like, all of a sudden, Cairo Santos, NFC Special Teams Player of the Week, he's 10 out of 12 and hit a 55-yard field goal? Like, Cairo Santos has a legitimate history as a good kicker in this league for, for the for the Chiefs, had some injury issues, looks to be beyond them. I Did the Bears find their kicker? I think they found half a kicker. <laughs> And I'm, that's just a joke about Cairo Santos being a very slight individual because he was standing next to sure. Pat O'Donnell, who is, look, a, a large punter. Strapping man. Yes, yes. a large right. punter. But he's literally two-thirds his size. He's uh, he's not a head shorter than Pat O'Donnell. He's like two heads shorter than Pat O'Donnell. So, yep. But regardless of that, Cairo Santos is kicking extremely cleanly right now um i'm in a position where i watch pretty much any every nfl game every week and one of the sort of trends that's sort of soaks into the back of your mind is how was kicking this week like broadly across the league um point afters uh, kickoffs punts you know field goals for sure and and there's definitely a sort of pulse to kicking around the league and we've had a couple of rough weeks for the league um, not in a row, but in this first six weeks, we've had two weeks I can think of where kicking was really a problem for multiple teams. This week, it was a little bit of that. And you're seeing a lot of these uh, when you're watching, again, all the games, a lot of hooks and things that are bouncing off goalposts and things that are just inside the post to the point where your insides hurt. Cairo Santos is kicking right down the middle in a straight line yeah just on a line and i'm all for it because any less drama the bears fans can have in the kicking game i am all about it i was watching the um it was a monday night game in uh, kansas city versus buffalo in buffalo and the, the weather was terrible it was raining right. it was cold uh, just i grew up in upstate new york and when the weather's like that there it's it's really terrible and, you know, uh, Tyler Bass, who's a rookie kicker for them, pushed one wide right. And, oh, man, if you want to talk about a fan base tortured by kicking, it's Bills fans and <laughs> wide right, right, sure. Scotty Norwood. Yeah. So, and I thought, how nice is it to kind of like, when Cairo Santos steps up, I get a little nervous, but I got less nervous than I did last year and certainly less nervous than the year before. And isn't it nice to watch a guy step up push a kick right through the middle of the uprights straight no hook no real question just really is it long oh yeah it's long enough bingo there's three points god it's a nice feeling as a bears fan so i am all about cairo santos can you know kicking consistently right now and sort of just lowering the drama in bears games well i'm it's not something i thought we'd be talking about to be honest with you uh and when, when he signed and, and Pinero couldn't kick the injury i was like oh, okay and he's you know give it up he's been good and so uh obviously kicking so much of it is small sample size 
and you know a guy misses a couple and you know really it should be judged more like i don't know like a hitter right like you you probably need 100 field goal attempts to really kind of have it all even out and, and know what they are but you're never going to get 100 attempts and so it's just one of those things that's a the, the volume isn't high enough for you to really kind of evaluate how they're doing but it is what it is. That's the job. And so far, so good. So I'm, I'm pretty excited, especially if you're going to build the team through defense, you want to have a good kicker. And I'm telling I you, know, man. man. I, I gotta, it, it, I'm struggling even saying it, but it's like, I think the Bears might have a good kicker. I know. It's hard to admit almost after all the angst around the kicking competition. We felt this when we were at training camp last year. Uh, you know, there was just people literally got silent and stood up for practice kicks on day one. I, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen, but I totally understood it. And to be past that's pretty cool. But you said, you know, if you're going to build a team around defense, you better have a kicker. I'm telling you what, you better have a kicker no matter what, because there are going to be weeks in this league where whatever your gig is. I don't care if you're a 500-yard-a-week passing team. I don't care if you're the Packers and you've been hanging 40 on opponents. Every You're going to come up against a week where you're going to be grinding it out, and it's 16-13. to 13. I'll tell you, Brandon McManus, who's the kicker for the Broncos right now, sure. he won them the game this week, period. No question. Six field goals, he, he beat the Patriots. Brandon McManus beat the Patriots, right? And that's not a game the Patriots or you know, that's not a game the Broncos really should have won. But absolutely having a kicker on the roster, Vic Fangio's like, I love that guy. <laughs> I'm telling you, last you mentioned last year at camp, if you dropped in an alien <laughs> and sat him next to us in the bleachers and you were trying to explain to this alien about football. And I don't know. Maybe let's just say the alien understands like monetary compensation. <laughs> and then someone uh. comes up, or maybe he, you ask the question or whatever, and you ask, well, who do you think makes the most money on this team? I think the alien would say, well, clearly that kicker does. Because he's clearly the most important position, the the most important person on this field because everybody is glued to that person. And the amount of conversation about the kicker dominated more than anything else. It was bizarre. It was the craziest experience I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, but the, anyway. the reverence was my thing. Like, literally, I don't know if folks here, you know whatever your faith is right i was raised catholic i'm not currently catholic but man there's that point where the whole church goes quiet and stands up and that was the kicking conversation <laughs> on day one right so Every, bizarre everything got quiet everybody stood up and it was like reverence to the is it going in and you know we were looking at each other we're like look at this man everybody's standing up everybody's quiet what the hell and we understood it because of the double doink and the significance and the scar i get it um but it was extremely extremely odd been around football a long time never seen anything like that so <laughs> all right let's take a quick break we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about the rams support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, EJ. So the Bears are going to go to L.A. They're going to play the Rams. And I was kind of thinking about this. I did the five questions exchange with uh, with with Kenneth over at the Turf Show Times. Really nice exchange. He, he gave a lot of really good information. So please check that out on the site. I was really impressed with how thoughtful he was. Hopefully I gave him as, as good as I got over on their site as well. But I kind of feel like there's a little bit of a renewed rivalry brewing. This is a series that goes all the way back to 1937 when the Rams were in Cleveland. So they have been playing each other a long time. For a long time, they were in the same division, so they were playing each other twice a year. So the Bears and Rams go way back. There are a lot of epic battles between the Bears and the Rams. But obviously, recently, with the new division alignment, Bears are in the north, and and the the Rams are out west, and so, you know, we're not seeing them as much as we used to. But the last three, this is the third time in three years that the Bears and the Rams play in it, and and they've all felt somewhat important. Last year, I kind of feel like the Rams kind of knocked the Bears out. That was kind of the, the nail in the coffin, the death knell. The year before that was that really hideously ugly game for both Goff and Trubisky. They were both terrible. The defenses looked great, but the Bears won that game and it felt like, hey, the Bears are real with this win in 2018. And and now you've got a situation where the Bears are 5-1. and one. You got a lot of people saying like, eh, they're not really legit because they really haven't beat anybody. I mean, I don't know what the Bucks are because everybody likes the Bucks, so it kind of seems like we've beaten at least somebody. But you know, uh, Bears haven't beaten anybody, but the Rams. Oh, the Rams are really good because uh, they're four and two, which is not as good as five and one last time I checked. And the Rams, they they've beat. I mean, they're the NFC East champions right now because they're four and zero against the NFC East, which we talked about as maybe the worst division that we've seen in some time. And they lost their other two games against the Bills and the 49ers. and so. The Rams come into this one as six-point favorites against the Bears, and I'm thinking, what's happening here? Like, so let's start with just a simple question. You've watched all the games. You're doing way more than I am in terms of watching the whole league. Are the Rams good? The Rams are good. Are they really good against a defense as good as the Bears? I don't think we have an answer to that question. I really don't because I don't think they've played a defense that is anywhere near the Bears level. Like you said, the Bears are pretty much any way you slice it a top five defense in the league right now. And the Rams have not played anything quite near that. They've played good defenses, but not great. And like you said, they're the NFC East champions, kind of like the Bears or the NFC South champions at the moment. But they can be very good. 
Uh, I've been really impressed with their play calling. Uh, it depends on who shows up, but it, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. We'll break this down, the offense versus the defense. But the Rams are a good team. Do I think they are six-point favorites over the Bears at this point as they meet? I think that's a nutty number. If you know things about spread, six points is a bunch, and it doesn't feel that far apart to me. It feels like maybe that line should come down closer to game time. I was I was really surprised. So every week, I write a column over the QB list where I, where I make bets. Uh, we pick five lines, either over-unders or, or, we, or we bet the spread. And my method, for what, better or worse, <laughs> is I take the schedule and I write down what I think the line should be. So I kind of make my own book. And then I compare it against the line. And if there's something that's really off, that sort of signals to me that I feel pretty good about this team being better than the line one way or the other. And when I and I, I'm, I'm a biased Bears fan. It is what it is. I know that. And so the Bears games, I usually don't bet them because I'm always a little, I'm a little more optimistic. But when I thought about this game, I was like, okay, uh, I, the Rams will be favored, but it'll be, I'm thinking two and a half. I maybe I'll put it at three. And when I saw six points, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way that this is a six point spread. And so, I I wonder if this is so national media driven right now, where everybody's convinced themselves that the Bears are imposters and the Rams aren't imposters because they have a like a nice offense, right? I, I I don't know. I don't know how else to say it, but I think we're so conditioned to this idea that like offense is good and defense doesn't matter. And that's not how the Bears are built. The Bears are built through the defense first. And they're trying to get their offense to get them by. It's kind of the opposite build. We can get into game theory someday and talk about how, you know, we all can't have the best quarterback in the league so how do we build teams around less than the best quarterback in the league the bears have done that with a good defense and so when i think about this game i think that there's a couple of keys that we want to get into but first and foremost i think that bears fans kind of need to think that this is not a long shot game this is not something that the bears can't win this is something that they have every right to go into la and come out with a victory and so what I think that they need to do to make that happen. The first is very obvious if you've ever watched the Rams, but that is not stop Aaron Donald. <laughs> Have a plan for Aaron Donald. What are you going to do, particularly without James Daniels in the lineup? What are you going to do to try and slow down Aaron Donald and contain the chaos that he brings? Yeah, absolutely. Aaron Donald, best defensive player in the league. Um, I think actually by a fairly wide margin. There are a lot of very good defenders. I see tons of them every week. Uh, guys that have, you know, high profile names, guys that have very little national recognition who are absolute dynamos. I'm thinking about guys like Levante David, you know, who are incredibly good players but never get listed in the top. Well, Aaron Donald's both, right? He has the name recognition. Everybody admits that he is sort of chalked in as possible defensive player of the year every year, and it's his to lose because if he plays up to his potential, he's not going to lose it. I'm with you that you really have to build a game plan around Aaron Donald and how you are going to 
minimize and make him work uh, away, <laughs> make him play to his strengths, but have that work away from what you're trying to do with your game plan. Because look, if you try and run it right up the middle at Aaron Donald, you're going to lose. If you stand back in the middle of the pocket and, and don't move Nick Foles and make him a moving target, you're going to lose. Aaron Donald is going to beat probably two or three players that you put in front of him on almost every play. So yeah, you're going to have to do that and everything else you can to slow him down. But if you stand still or run right at him, you're in big trouble. And I think Matt Nagy is smart enough to get away from that idea. Um, The rest of the Rams defense is pretty good as well. Not great. And they do have their weaknesses. And I'm sure that Nagy and the offensive coaches have seen that. They're going to need to attack those guys that have a a lesser rating who are still good players but have limits, guys like Taylor Rapp at safety. Um, They're going to have to find a way to put those guys under pressure, to put them in stressful situations and make them make decisions and have an option to sort of have a two-way go, right? Either way, make those guys make the wrong decisions and then throw to the open guy. And Foles is smart enough to do that. Um, so they're not unbeatable, but like you said, the national narrative about the Rams having a really good offense, that's true, but the Bears defense matches up very well with the Rams offense. The things the Rams do well, the Bears do well in shutting down. So that's always a fascinating sort of arrangement. We had that last week with uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh, right? Coming in, Cleveland's mm. offensive line one of the yep. best offensive running lines, if not, the, I think it was the best coming into the week. And Pittsburgh's defensive line, best at shutting down the run. So you've got two Titans slugging it out. Well, we all know the Steelers beat the snot out of the Browns because both of their lines turned out to be better. But it's always really interesting when you've got a unit like the Rams offense and specifically the passing game. We'll talk a little bit about the running game. But specifically, it's Goff and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And, and a couple of games this year, it's been Tyler Higby, the, the tight end. So, right. But I think the Bears have players to match up with those guys, right? We talked about Fuller and Johnson matching up very well with Woods and Cup. And then you've got a guy like Roquan who can get on Tyler Higby and make that a matchup. And suddenly there's not big windows for Goff to throw to. And then you've got the Bears defensive line, which is generating pressure without blitzes, coming after Goff, who's not tremendous under pressure. He's good, but he's not one of those guys that's always at the top end of the ranks of, you know, yards against pressure or yards against the blitz. He's in the middle of the pack. And if you can cause him some confusion and certainly some physical harm, you know, neat, right? If you can knock him down (laughs) early in the game and get those receivers covered, he's going to feel a lot less sure. And if that causes him to hand the ball off more, we can talk a little bit about the running game. Yeah, let's segue into that because... Uh, a bit of a three-headed monster coming into this year. You've got the rookie Cam Akers, who, uh, man, you're going to spend that high of a draft pick on a guy like Cam Akers. He's probably going to be the lead guy, right? Uh, not so much this year. Malcolm Brown kind of started off as the lead back, but really, Daryl Henderson, uh, coming back from a preseason injury, he's really emerged as the guy, which really kind of kills me because I cut him in fantasy after reading an article that said you know what daryl henderson is just not he's just not gonna he's not not the guy this is cam Akers' team and uh daryl henderson looks pretty good and against a bears defense that if you think it has a 
a weakness. It's certainly against the run right now. Um, they've looked a little better over the last few weeks. Uh, obviously, Danny Trevathan's kind of come on. He looked pretty rough in those first couple of games. Uh, even the uneven play of Roquan early on, uh, you know, he's he's stepped it up. But you know, Brent Urban, he's he's stepped into the role. He's taken some good snaps, and and so uh, you've got John Jenkins coming back, uh, hopefully healthy and strong. So maybe some of this gets shored up a little bit. But Darrell Henderson, I want to talk about him a little bit because this is the guy that we were kind of convinced was going to be a Chicago Bear, and L.A. went and took him, and immediately Ryan Pace got on the phone traded up so that he could get David Montgomery. So let's kind of remind everybody about what Daryl Henderson's all about. Yeah, Daryl Henderson was absolutely the guy that I had myself talked into that I thought the Bears were interested in. I knew they needed a running back, and my, I don't want to call it a mistake, I'm just going to say my focus was explosive plays out of the running game, that they wanted to get chunk yards, that Nagy and co. wanted to... Uh, have an offense that when you got a gap with the running game, you could get 10, 15, 20 yards out of it in a blast. And if you were talking about a guy out of that draft, out of the backfield that could do that, that was Darrell Henderson. Like that is his game. He was absolutely the best at it in college. Uh, and we're starting to see that with the Rams, and I'm I'm thrilled for him as a player. It's rough that the Bears get to face him this week because he really is starting to come on. But I actually talked about it on Bootleg this week. Darrell Henderson puts pressure not only on the second level of the defense with his speed. He's so fast through the hole, and he needs just a sliver to get there. He's not a slight guy, but he is so fast that if your third level of defense, if your safeties aren't in, you don't think about safeties being in run fit who are playing coverage, but literally if they're not close enough, he's going to run by them. And that's just something that a defense always has to have in mind is, you know, some guys are power backs and it's like, look, we got to get two tacklers to the ball because he's going to break the first tackle. Darrell Henderson is a speed guy, and it's like we have to have all of our alleys covered because if we leave a big gap, he will literally run through it and run away from us. So really cool to see him blossoming in that role. Todd Gurley out of town, sort of fulfilling that role that I imagined him fulfilling with the Bears um, and leading that. And having Cam Akers as a number two and Malcolm as a third is – this is a trend around the league. We're seeing a bunch of teams that not only have duos, but have trios, right? Cleveland has one. There's a bunch of other teams where the third back on the roster is really pretty good. And, you know, I know that makes it hell for fantasy owners, but literally there are a handful, five or six teams around the league that are legit three and sometimes even four deep the you know the Colts were four deep before Marlon Mack got hurt and right now they've got Taylor and Naheem Hines and uh, their third back whose name escapes me at the moment but he's been racking up a ton of yards and it's really I don't remember a time where there were so many teams that went legit three deep right well, or teams that are understanding what it is, the the traits that they need, right? So, like, Kyle Shanahan has a stable of backs, and they keep getting hurt. But, man, like, I mean, he, he plugs in what? Uh, Jermichael Hasty. Jermichael Hasty. I have to talk and, about Hasty for a minute because we literally called Hasty's name on bootleg 
as a perfect fit for, quote-unquote, a system like Shanahan's in San Francisco. He ends up going undrafted. Matt Breida says, I'm leaving. He's like, fine, I don't care. I'm going to go get two undrafted guys, one of whom is Jermichael Hasty, because he's a perfect one-cut runner. He's not as right. diverse as Raheem Mostert, but sure enough, he came in last week and looked like a very good fit in that system, was super productive. So you're right. It's teams knowing this is what I need and knowing at the running back position that largely I can go get it. And that's a, f- a factor of going away from the bell cow back, right? Right. Knowing that I can have two or three backs and if they have the same qualities or some different qualities that offset each other, which was always the thing, right? I have the big guy and the speed guy or the, the main guy and the sure, third down that's guy. The now it's, I have three guys who relatively have this one cut speed trait. I can bring any of them in fresh and rotate them almost like defensive linemen and hit right. you really hard whenever you miss a run fit. It's a it's a fundamental change that's kind of fascinating. I think you're absolutely right because for me what I'm seeing with like wide receiver team builds is that you're looking for building a basketball team, right? You're building different types of traits so that you can take advantage of matchups. But you're seeing the opposite trend with running backs where you're kind of seeing this is a direct backup to this guy, and this is a direct backup to the backup because they look the same, they do the same thing, and that's how the offense is built. I think that's really fascinating, and it's a really fun thing. But that's probably another podcast. We can get into that. Maybe in the offseason when we talk about <laughs> running backs. We do the running back show, and uh, you can nerd out and do another two-hour podcast. Though, Hell yes. Backs, so. I will never turn down the, never turn down the opportunity to talk about running backs for far too long. That's a deal. So the last one that I have, and this is, I've I've mentioned it before, but I I, I think that in a game like this against a a team that's interesting, like the Rams, like they, we know that they have talent on offense. We know that they have talent on defense. I do think the Bears offense is going to be able to score some points. I do think that the Bears defense is going to have some success, but I do think this will be a close game. I don't think that this is going to be a two score game either way or anything like that. Uh, to be able to win a game like this, those field goal drives, you have to convert them into touchdowns. Um, those drives that you know get to midfield, you got to get them a little further and give Cairo Santos a chance. Like this, just this has to be one of those games where you just make that next first down or are able to convert inside the red zone. This is going to be really important this week to make threes into sevens and zeros into threes. Yeah, I agree, and I think. You have to make the threes threes, which is a little bit of a different point, but you can't give up the field goals because of the reason you stated. I do think this is going to be a close game, and honestly, I you just can't let opportunities slip away, and that's on both sides of the ball. If you get, you know, Darnell Mooney free down the field, don't put the ball behind him, right? <laughs> yeah, like 10 yards behind get him. The ball, yeah. Get the ball out in front and let him run. If you're Eddie Jackson and you can maybe reach around a guy instead of hitting a guy as you go through him to get the pick, do that, right? Adjust. Know that you're not getting those calls right now. Know how it's being called and don't don't complain right. about that. You know, reach or uh, Kyle Fuller, just keep doing what you're doing. You shouldn't have been flagged on last week's, uh, the week before when you uh, are inaugural bootleg shot of the week uh, for your, you know, game-changing hit against Tampa Bay. Keep doing those things and then pick up the fumble, right? You can't let any of those opportunities go because they are a good team. 
it is going to be a close game. You got to give Cairo Santos the field goals. He's got to hit him. You got to come right. up with a touchdown on offense, and you probably have to come up with at least a couple of turnovers on defense. You can't let that interception drop to the turf, and you got to come up with some unlikely, you know, Allen Robinson breaks away from Jalen Ramsey and scores type play. If you do all those things and don't play stupid, run into the teeth of Aaron Donald, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think you can walk away from this with a victory. But if you play messy and ugly and dumb, you're not going to win. The Rams are certainly a better team than that. Yeah, I I think that that's dead on. And I think that some of the things that, again, I'm not sure that some of those things should have been called last week against, against the Panthers. But you can't have that kind of performance because the Rams aren't going to let you get away with what the Panthers let you get away with. Again, we were like, hey, the Panthers are not uh, – this is not a pushover. This is a team that you're going to have to earn it against. Uh, and they did. That This was not a bad team that they beat. It was a competitive team that they, they beat from start to finish, which should make you feel really good as a Bears fan because that's what you should do in those games. But the Rams aren't like that. That The Rams are better than that. This is a team that I think the Bears can match up against and can beat if they play a complete game. But that's what you got to do. you got to play a complete game. Yeah, I fully agree. And Panthers, another thing about the Panthers in terms of people saying the Bears haven't beat anybody. Like the Bucks went in and beat the Packers pretty handily. Right. Yeah. Thirty-eight to ten. I yeah. Believe. And the Bucks did not play that well against the Bears, but they were capable of playing that well. So saying that's not a quality win is really disingenuous. It's one or the other. Either they went into Green Bay and whipped a team that had been dropping forty burgers, or it's a quality win for the Bears. Right. It has to be one or the other. You know, can't be both. And the Panthers are the same way. We talked about them being a quality opponent in the middle of the pack that was getting better. And they played pretty well. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. It's not like Teddy went out and threw five interceptions, right? They had some long completions to DJ Moore. Mike Davis had been tearing up his previous two opponents in terms of running yeah. the ball. Bears shut him down. So meh, at some point, you got to give the Bears some credit for shutting down what the Panthers were building. So while it may not be that sort of top-tier quality win, it's not a pushover by any stretch. So it's at least right. a couple of quality wins. You can say what you want about the Giants, and you should. Uh, but you know, this will be a really interesting test because the Rams are certainly considered as a better tier team, uh, than the Panthers. Now bucks, I think are still a superior team to the Rams. So it's kind of in between there. Right. And it'd be really interesting to see how prepared Chicago is on both sides of the ball and how they come out of this game. It'll be interesting to see if the bears are able to go in and, do at least what we think they'll do at a minimum, which is make this game competitive and, and keep it within one score. If the national narrative changes, even if the Bears lose, what if the Bears are able to go in and, and get a win in L.A.? I wonder if that changes the narrative or if there's still people that are going to find a way to say, well, maybe we're wrong about the Rams because all they've done is beat the NFC East. And so really they're probably not good either. Like how, how many weeks into this season do we need to have people carry their preseason baggage with them and not just start thinking about, hey, we're seven weeks into this thing. It is what it is at this point. Honestly, so that, I, I'm very curious to see what happens. I hope they do, right? I keep keep dragging it with. That's them. right. I hope they continue to to put two and two together and look at all the people at that point. You know, 
three weeks on from now, four weeks on from now, all the people the Bears have played, all the teams the Bears have played, and all the success they've had against various teams, right? The Rams against Buffalo, like, they lit it up. Like, Robert Woods was very good. Terrell Henderson had a very good day. Tyler Higby had a three-touchdown game earlier this week. Like, you know, the Bucks broke out. Their receiver core is very good. And every time they play somebody like that, they look back and they go, huh, against Chicago, they kind of laid an egg. Oh, that's weird. They must have had an off day. Keep it up, <laughs> folks. Keep it up. Right. I swear to God, just keep it up. Because the Bears are hammering people. If you're watching the games closely, their defensive line is voracious. The middle the middle layer of the defense is fine, and their secondary is incredible. It's very, very good. So, you know, keep thinking that it was just that off day that Tom Brady had, that he just naturally didn't hit anybody. No, he ended up on his back a lot, and he got really frustrated, and that's the only way to make, you know, Super Tom look human that's a you know the bears did that it wasn't that the offensive lineman just stood up and Olay blocked right and so keep saying i would prefer they keep saying that all the way into the playoffs right oh the bears <laughs> haven't earned it they're the worst uh you know worst playoff worst team 11 win whatever. team yeah. we've ever seen well sure okay right. fine that's cool we got 11 yeah. wins and we're in the dance and nick Foles is the quarterback you do the math yeah, and I'll, I'll cash my overbet that I put on the Bears. So, all right, let's get out of here. Let's talk about these beers and let's get out of here. So I've had this beer a few times. I've had it a few years. I think it's delicious. Norwald, uh, it's just it's one that I look forward to every year. I can't say that I rebuy a lot of – there's so much beer out there. Mm-hmm. I don't drink a ton of beer outside of you know us hanging out and talking about the bears and you know a couple here and there i so i you know for me i'm not buying you know everything seven times a lot of times i'm buying a six pack and yeah okay i had it and maybe i'll buy it two or three times this is something when i find it i buy it i'm buying it every year because it's delicious it's great to have go-to's and when you find them i'm like you we share this we're, we're different in a lot of ways in beers but we share this notion of i've never had it i'll try it like it looks good or maybe it's from a brewery that i've had and i haven't had that style or you know i didn't i've never heard of this brewery i'm gonna give it a shot and people are like yeah but you know you like that one and i'm like yeah but i know i like that one right so i'm gonna go for the other one and we like to try a lot of different beers and different styles and but there are those ones right where you get out and it's a seasonal beer and you see the first one and you're like mine <laughs> i'm getting six of that um kokanee for me is uh, look i've had a ton of kokanee largely because of situation i used to spend a lot of time in canada it's ubiquitous there uh it's available here it's a good clean drinking beer you can have uh, a bunch of these and feel okay um it goes down very easy. It doesn't really have any quote unquote bad habits uh, or, or sort of bad tastes. It's a very enjoyable beer to just have that lighter beer in your fridge that I, I just want a beer, right? I don't want 10.5 by volume. I don't know if you ever get there, but I get stuck when I haven't bought beer in a while and maybe people have been buying them for me or whatever. And, uh, you know, I look in my fridge and all I've got is like a Christmas stout 
uh, some imperial, you know, IPA that's 11% and, you know. You got a bomber that costs you 15 bucks. Right, and, and you're got, like. You know, like, and you're like, ah, I don't want anything that fancy. I just don't have anything to drink, right? And people are looking, there's 15 beers in the fridge, and you're like, well, yeah, but I don't want that because of this, and I don't want that. Kokanee is always the beer that you can just reach for and be like, I just wanted a beer. I, I know what it's going to give me. It's fine. Um, I, you know, I like it. It's good stuff. All right, man. Well, good episode. Let's uh, get us out of here. Yeah, let's roll us out of here. What are you doing this week uh, besides Bears Over Beers? Uh, As always, a bunch of articles up on the website, and we are not doing live stream this week because the game is on Monday night. Uh, We did not mention that before. It is a Monday night football game. The Bears are actually pretty good on Monday night in the last 10 years. I saw a stat. I think the Bears are like the best in the NFL on Monday night football, so... I don't know. I didn't. I had no clue. I would have probably thought we were one of the worst, but here we are. So uh, look for the website. We've got some good stuff going on there, and you recorded a two-hour bootleg episode. I did. That was just last night. Boy, that feels like for – or actually it was two nights ago, but it came out, uh, came out today. So, yeah, Fresh Bootleg Football Podcast. Uh, you can find that on YouTube or all the podcast outlets. Uh, Windy City, check out all the great work there and all the other podcasts on the Windy City Gridiron Network. There's lots of good ones, tons of great opinions and guests there. Uh, But, yeah, we will be watching on Monday night. Uh, Come to you next week, tell you how we did against the Rams, give a preview of the next opponent with a couple of fresh beers, as always. But enjoy. You've got a national primetime game, Bears fans, with a division-leading team. Don't let anybody tell you it's not fun because, boy, it sure is. Uh, So until then, bear down.